I want to share what God's Word says about choices that every family must make to ensure that they have the foundation to create a healthy, God-centered culture in your home. I'm going to present four critical choices that everybody will make, every one of us will make in 2017. Choices that will significantly control your life this year and maybe for years to come. And before I give you these four choices, I want to give you a little historical background from Scripture. I also want to tell you a story. So the story talks about the freedom of choice, and the Scripture is going to as well. I'm going to start with the story first. And some of you maybe have heard it before. I've shared it, but it's so applicable, I've got to share it again. When I was uh, working in the steel mills, I'd worked there about, uh, well, I ended up working there 31 years. I know I don't look that old, but anyway. I worked there for 31 years, and the steel mill that I worked for, Inland Steel, would have a yearly picnic. Uh, At one time, the steel mill there, which many of the steel mills in northwest Indiana and the oil refineries, they were the the heartbeat of the county. They were the lifeline of the county. And there were 25,000 employees working in this this steel mill at one time. Now we're down to 3,000 or 4,000. I say we because uh, I do get a small pension check from them. Anyway, they're down to about three or 4,000. Keep working, guys. Anyway, uh, and they produce as much steel as they have ever produced. It's amazing. But anyway, they'd have this picnic after you had 25 years at the company. And they have it every year still, last weekend in August, at the fairgrounds. Well, it would be my usual routine to play golf with three of my buddies on a Saturday. And then we'd go from there after early morning. We'd go over there and we'd get something to eat. Well, that particular day, it rained, and it rained, and it rained, and the golf course was so flooded, they had closed it. So there I am about 10, 30, 11 o'clock at my house, and my wife says, Harry, you know, why don't you go meet your buddies, go over there, grab yourself something to eat at the picnic, and uh, I said, you know what, I'll do that. You know, there's some other things I want to do around the house. I'll do that. I'll be back probably around 12.30. So I'm driving into the southern part of the fairgrounds, if you're from the area, you kind of know it's hilly there, and then you've got a lake, and then you've got the pavilions where the picnic was happening clear on the north side of the fairgrounds. And I'm seeing, wow, this parking lot is full. I think all 25,000 people have got 25 years in now. It's like everybody is there. There's cars, thousands. There must have been two or 3,000 cars. I'm going to have to park clear in the back along the fence here. So I, I drive in in the east entrance there, And I start working my way back towards the rear of the parking lot. And what do you know? On a slight incline, there's a road going up, and there's a parking spot. I mean, there's a parking car here, and there's a car here on this incline. But I can parallel park. I learned how to do that. So I parallel park, and I start to move forward because I parked here. I wanted to move forward, get enough space between the two cars. And my wheels started to spin, and they kept spinning. Uh, the more I tried to go forward, the more I dug myself deeper. I realized that I was stuck there at that parking spot. That split second choice, I'm going to have to wait for this guy to move, and then I'm just going to go out. So I worked my way into the picnic, and all the time, once every five minutes, I go over, and I'm looking three to 400 yards, and I'm trying to see, did that van move yet? Because it was a van behind me. I'll go back, visit with my friends. Excuse me, keep an eye on my hamburger. Uh, did that van move yet? You know, I, I kept going back and forth. And, well, about 1 o'clock when my friends left, the van was still there. And then about 3 o'clock, the van was still there. I called Bonnie eventually around 5 o'clock, and I said, you come get me, we're going to go out to eat somewhere. And I want to get away from this place. So we left, and we went somewhere to eat, and we came back around 7 o'clock, and there were maybe 25 cars left. That van was one of them. 
This is a true story. And I kept saying, God, you've got to have a sense of humor here because I'm going to have to use this someday in a message because this is just frustrating me to no end. Well, it worked its way to 10 cars and that van was still there. True story. About 7.30, there were two vehicles left in that parking lot, mine and the van. <laughs> and I'm thinking, maybe they're going over for sleeping somewhere, you know? I'm thinking, oh, man, I just might as well leave. And then here comes a golf cart with two guys. They're a little bit handicapped. Evidently, they had been playing cards or whatever. I don't know. But they backed out, and I was able to finally leave and get home about 8 o'clock. That day, that decision controlled my day entirely. It was a split-second decision to park there. I thought it was a good, maybe the best choice of parking. I could save myself at least 50 yards of walking, you know. But instead, it controlled me. It controlled my whole day, who I was going to spend time with, when I was going to eat, my frustration level. You see, here's the point I want you to remember, and you'll hear it from me many times today, we are free up to the point of choice. But after that, the choice controls the chooser. I'm sure many of you can think of choices that you made that were maybe split second or maybe even thought about it for a minute. But they are choices that have now controlled you for the rest of your life, and they still do. So I want to look now at what the Bible has to say about the history of choices. So if you want to turn with me, you can turn to the uh, book of Genesis, chapter 1. If you don't want to turn uh, in, in your Bible or in your iPhone or your iPad, you can look on the screen. I just want to tell you that I happen to make my notes in the NIV version, and the screen is in the ESV. So if they don't quite match up, it's because of the different versions. So Genesis, chapter 1, let's now look at the, the history of, of choices, what Scripture has to say. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. We, as humans, were made in the image of God. We were the zenith, the crown of creation, created in the Trinity's likeness. Let us, let us make man in our image. How were we made in the image of the Trinity? Well, we have an individual personality. We have a mind. We have emotions. And we have a will. The ability to choose. The freedom of choice to make decisions. Now, why was that necessary? Well, because of verse 26b there. So that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and over all the earth. We're given a personality to rule over the earth. To rule with God. Because God blessed in verse 28. God blessed them, that's Adam and Eve, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue the earth. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in, in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. As we read, we were created morally sinless and good and created to rule, to subdue the earth, to rule over the animals who were created so how's that going for you? How, how you doing on that ruling and subduing? Very well? Well, I can remember how it went for me. My wife, a few years ago, we decided to visit the uh, Glacier National Park. In, it's on the border of Montana and uh, Canada, northern Montana. 
great national park, and we decided to go across one side of the park to the other for breakfast one morning. It was our anniversary. And we had lunch, or excuse me, we had breakfast, and then we decided next to it, adjacent was a lake, I think it's called St. Mary's, and we decided to go for a, a, a hike, Bonnie and I. And so it's about a three-mile hike, I guess. And as we're going around the lake, of course, being the godly man that I was, I had her go in the lead so I could protect the rear and make sure nothing snuck up behind us. And so, and so we're on the trail. We're the only two of us on this trail. And we're, we're going along. And next thing I know, Bonnie turns around, and her eyes are like this. And I see fear in her face. And I'm thinking, what did I do? You know, but anyway. And, and she says, there, and it was only about 15 feet in front of her, and I never saw it, but she did. She said, there's a grizzly bear crossing the path. I said, oh. And she says, let's run. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 you, no, you shouldn't run. I mean, after all, you can't outrun a bear. And she said, well, I know I can beat you, though. <laughs> now, all of that is true except the last part. But it's, not, it's certainly within her nature to say that. You know, I, I, she was thinking it if she didn't say it anyway. So it, it, we didn't rule that grizzly bear. That grizzly bear ruled, even though I didn't see it. But I still believe her that there was a grizzly bear there. So it, we are in a position now where creation is ruling us. And then verse 31, keeping that in mind, though. But God saw that he had made, up until that time, everything. It was very good, very good. All was very good. There was no bad, there's no evil. Not in the world. See, evil is a perversion of good. There's a lot of things that are created and they have good intentions in this world, but mankind can turn it around for evil. Now let's go over to Genesis chapter 2 and see what happened next. Verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden. But you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Now, what is the choice we are free to make in this verse? You know, read it carefully. What's the choice to make? The true choice is to obey or disobey God. We are free to choose to obey or to disobey God. Again, we are free up to the point of choice, but after that, the choice will control the chooser. There is nothing inherently evil about the fruit of that tree. Rather, it revealed the freedom we have to choose, the freedom of choice. But after that, the choice controls the chooser. It controlled Adam and Eve. Indeed, it controlled their children, and it controls us still today. The choice was to sin. Sin, a word you're likely never to hear in the popular media of today. And there's a lot of sin that creates the news, but you'll never hear that word used. In a real sense, we are no longer free. Rather, we are slaves. It is our nature. We are sinners that sin, not sinners because we have sinned. We are sinners that sin, not sinners because we have sinned. It reminds me of the story of the scorpion and the buffalo. There was a scorpion that was beside this river, fast flowing and deep. He wanted to get to the other side. Along comes a buffalo about to cross the stream, and the scorpion says, let me hop on your back, take me across to the other side, please. And the buffalo says, you think I'm an idiot? I'm not a dumb buffalo. If you go ahead and hop on my back, you'll sting me, and I'll die. 
Well, the scorpion says, that'd be stupid because if I do that, I'll die too. Buffalo says, I never thought of that. Hop on. The buffalo's halfway across the stream. Scorpion's on top of his back. The scorpion stings him. Buffalo says, now, why did you do that? Now we're both going to die. He said, it's because it's my nature. It's our nature. Our nature is that we are sinners, and we sin because that is our nature. So in, in a real sense, we're no longer free. We are slaves. We are sinners that sin. Now, I mean, do we have any freedom left? That is, the freedom of choice. Do we have that still? Do we have any autonomy? Do we have that? Go to uh, chapter 4 of Genesis. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, I presume you know the story where his offering was not acceptable. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you, Cain, do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It, sin, desires to have you, but you must rule. Rule over it. God tells Cain, if you do right, if you choose to obey, you'll be accepted. If you exercise faith in my word... If you believe in me, you will be accepted. Cain's face was downcast. He was angry. Yet God says, obedience comes first. Your emotions, your feelings will follow, and you'll be okay. In other words, if you obey, if you follow my word, your anger will disappear. But beware, sin is, is a crouching monster, God says. Disguised as a most attractive and pleasing beauty. Sin is a monster. Disguised as an attractive and pleasing beauty. Which is lying stretched out, just calmly waiting. And the monster desires you to pounce and to hurt you. But, God said, it's a monumental encouragement for Cain and for every one of us in this room. You must master the monster, if you so choose. Which means, believe it or not, that we all have the wherewithal through the power of the Holy Spirit living in our lives to master sin. We don't have that power in and of ourselves. Even in our own lives, I'm just thinking, how many times have you had a difficult time forgiving somebody? And I think the appropriate prayer is to say, God, I don't have the power to forgive and then love that person. But I know you, as the person of the Holy Spirit living in my life, you can help me to forgive. You can help me to love. As I obey you. As I obey you. So God says again, obedience comes first and your emotions will follow. And you'll be okay. But beware, sin is crouching at the door. And I know sometimes when I think about the door, I find this this metaphor very interesting. It's a door that Cain has the choice to open or leave securely closed. In fact, we all have that door, don't we? It's a door to our mind. It's a door to our heart, our emotions. And it's also a door to our will, our choices. The door has but one doorknob. There's only one doorknob on this door. 
It's only on the inside, which only you can turn open. And it is our nature, is it not? Our tendency to crack open that door to gaze upon the disguised beauty. Is it truly outside my door? Is it pleasing to my eye? Is it pleasing to my ear, my smell, my touch, my taste? When it starts to pounce, I think I can close the door in time. I'll I'll press hard against the door. I'll close it. But no, sin overpowers me when I crack open that door. God told Cain, it's never too late to start obeying, to start doing right, to keep that door closed. Memorize this truth. Your wrong vertical choice will negatively impact your horizontal relationship. Your wrong vertical choice with God, disobeying God, disobeying his word, will negatively impact your horizontal relationships with a spouse, with a friend, with a child, with a father, etc., etc. Always. The wrong vertical behavior will impact your horizontal behavior. Why? Well, we see it right here. Witness Cain's subsequent murder of Abel, his brother. It was Cain's choice of anger that led to slavery, that led to resentment, that led to hatred, that led to murder. So the next, this second human generation, had another choice to obey or disobey. Adam and Eve disobeyed. Cain disobeys. Our generations are certainly no different. Our parents, our grandparents, our great-grandparents, and still to come, our children, grandchildren, it is the nature of us to disobey God. Again, the choice was disobedience. And the result? Well, once again, we are free up to the point of choice. But after that choice controls the chooser. Cain's choice controlled me, controlled him. rather. To me, I think this begs the question, though. Are all our choices either to obey or disobey God? Are all our choices like that? In other words, must we obey God in every choice we make? Otherwise, we sin? Is that possible? Well, I think the answer is found in the book of Hebrews. So if you can, turn to Hebrews chapter 12. At the very start of that chapter, Hebrews chapter 12 in the New Testament. Once again, it'll it'll be on the screen. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. Our life is analogous to a race, and for some of us, a 100-yard dash. For some of us, maybe a 100-yard crawl. And for some of us, it's even a marathon. And for all the rest of us, it's somewhere in between the two. In this verse, though, what impedes us? Well, obviously, there is sin that impedes us. When we choose to disobey God, it entangles us. It slows us down or, or stops our progress. The progress toward Christ-likeness. But there is also things that hinder us. They're not sin. But they are harmful weights that delay our progress. So, therefore, I summarize our choices into three categories. This is my thinking, and you might correct me if you think there are more. But I see Scripture as this. 
First of all, we have the choice to obey God or disobey God. To obey God shows him our love. A good scriptural starting point is the Ten Commandments. Notice, it doesn't say the Ten Suggestions, does it? Also, in the New Testament, Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey my commandments. Obedience is your highest obedience. Everyone in this room is your highest expression of your love for God. So the second category, I think, of choices would be everything that hinders, that was talked about there in Hebrews. Choices that have degrees of effectiveness and impact. Choices that are wiser than others. I think they are these. There's the good choice, the better choice, and the best choice, the wisest choice. My son was once in a half triathlon, and after the first leg of swimming came the bicycle leg. Uh, My son owned a mountain bike. As he passed a competitor who was riding a racing bike, the pet competitor uh, exclaimed, Kid, if you had my bike, you'd win this race. Well, his mountain bike was a good choice. Actually, it was his only choice. But the racing bike was a better choice. And I suppose a $3,000 carbon fiber frame bike would have been the best choice. However, to him, winning this race was inconsequential. It made no difference. However, when one realizes that the spiritual race to Christ-likeness has eternal consequences, then the wise racer selects the best choice. Now I think there's a third category. There are choices that are just plain neutral. If you want to wear blue socks or black socks, I think God says, it's your choice. And, and thank God that so many things in our life, we have the freedom to choose because they are neutral choices. Now, everything I've said so far, I think it's scriptural background for choices, the history of it in Scripture. Now I want to share four critical choices that you and your family will make in 2017. And remember, we are free up to the point of choice, and after that, the choice controls the chooser. The first choice I see is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Or bad company ruins good morals. Choose wisely your friends with whom you associate, or as they say, with whom you hang. During my 17th year of age, I had these two good friends. Deep down with one, I always felt safe. There was a sense that no matter what I did, even if I was not thinking, or even if he wasn't thinking logically, God was going to bless him. On the other hand, deep down, I was frankly, I was with another friend, and with him I was really a little bit nervous. With the first friend, who's now been a missionary for 45 years, the one that I thought could do no wrong, no matter how foolishly he planned ahead, uh, God would bless him. I felt safe there. Give, give you a perfect illustration. Uh, I remember one Sunday, he called me up early. We skipped church. And he said, hey, I promised this person, that this girl that used to work where uh, I worked, that I would pick her up at spring break and take her home. I said, let's go. I said, I'll, I'll, go. I'll take the ride with you. I mean, 
I didn't even have a car yet. I was glad to go with him. And so we uh, drove to the nearest gas station, St. John. He says, go in there and uh, pick up uh, three maps you know, of uh, Illinois. And he said, Iowa, Missouri. In those days, by the way, for those of you that are under 50, you could get maps for free. I know it's hard to believe. They used to give you soap and glasses and things like that, too. But anyway, you could get maps for free. I said, what do you want free maps? What do you want free maps for? He says, well, we're going to Brooklyn. I said, Brooklyn? I said, Brooklyn's in, in New York. He says, no, it's one of those three states. There's a Brooklyn. I says, what? And he says, yeah. You know. So I found a Brooklyn. It was in Iowa. So we got an I-80, and we, they had just opened I-80. There's hardly any traffic on I-80 at that time. And it's the first time I was ever west of the Mississippi. So I'm west of the Mississippi, and we're in Iowa, and he says, uh, say left or right. And I said, well, left and right. He says, no, I'll pick one. I said, what do you mean pick one? He says, well, when we get off the interstate, we'll turn left or right to find the house. I said, what? He said, well, I, I lost the directions and, and the name of the house they're going to be at. Or he, I said, what? he said, I'll find it on the mailbox. True. I mean, this, this is way out of my comfort zone. <laughs> I mean, this is not how I travel. I mean, I, it... it, it, it so we're driving along, and I'm thinking to myself, this is stupid, you know? I mean, you know, it's been a nice trip, and we're going over these gravel roads, and I, the dust is out, and there's corn everywhere, you know? And next thing you know, there's a, he says, stop! That's the name on that mailbox. And I said, yeah, right. He said, that's it! We drive in, sure enough, you know, we picked up this young lady, and the farmer told us how he was putting indoor plumbing in the house and all that stuff. But anyway, um, tell Pastor Steve I badmouth Iowa, by the way. Uh, so uh, we're on the way home. And we get a flat tire. I mean, a flat tire of all flat tires. We can see the threads and everything. And so we barely coast underneath the, the overpass. And I said, well, let's get out and change the tire. And he says, well, I, I don't have a spare. How much money do we have? And what's the chance at 5 o'clock on a Sunday? In those days, they used to close stores and stuff on Sunday. Uh, what's the chance of, I'm really dating myself. <laughs> what, what's the chance of uh, finding, you know, a tire for $5. He got a brand new tire for $5. That's all we had. We put it on it, drove the rest of the way home. I always felt secure with him. Been a missionary for 45 years. And I can tell you, adventures he's had with just as little planning and how he's been able to survive. But that's another story. In Haiti, nonetheless. Anyway, so my other friend that I always felt a little uneasy with. Bonnie and I were just, just started dating, you know, this lovely wife of mine now. And... Uh, they were working on I-65. Uh, I know there was a time when they had to build I-65 for young people. And we were somewhere south of Lake County. And it was at nighttime. And it was a full moon. And uh, my friend decided to sneak on I-65. And there was a fence down at some field. And we were able to sneak on an I-65. Well, you know, that's something that I wouldn't do. You know, but, you know, when you're a teenager with your friends, you don't badmouth them and put them down, you know. So we're, we're riding along, and he decided, you know, let's turn the lights off because the moon is full, and we're doing about 100 miles an hour. And, you know, it's kind of cool. At least I could see where we were going from the back seat. And, and, but, you know, uh, I really start to feel nervous. I begin to have a fear, and it overwhelmed me, and, and Bonnie was picking up on it too. And I said, stop the car. Stop the car. And he stops the car, and we're on a slight incline, you know, and we, he and I get out. He said, why in the world did you tell me to stop the car? I said, I don't, I guess, stop the car. And we walked from here to the back of the auditorium. It wasn't even that far. It was the top of the bridge, and there was no span yet built between the bridges, okay? 
my knees just totally gave out and I hit the ground. And I remember thinking, you know, how close, seconds close from who knows what would have happened. I, I don't know if it would have been one of those, uh, uh, was it one of the, the Dodge, you know, jumping all the time, the, uh, the Rebel show, was that, what, what was that? Dukes of Hazard. For those of you under 50, you know, There's stuff I could say. Anyway, uh, so it, it was a, a significant choice. So the, the most important thing, obviously, is, is bad company. I'm not saying this, this guy wasn't even a bad guy, but who you hang with makes a big difference on how your life is going to be lived. Max, why parents always want to know who their kids' best friends are, what it's like when it goes to their house. Parents want to know that, and kids don't always understand. And the choice is also critical for young adults going off to college or starting a career because bad company corrupts good character and that choice of who you hang with in college, who you hang with at the new job may forever corrupt your character or take years to undo. I'm sure there are people in the room that would testify to that. Also, it's a choice every person contemplating marriage should make in advance. 2 Corinthians 6 14 says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now, that applies to not only the enterprise of marriage, but also to businesses and other things, but particularly with marriage. It's a spiritual enterprise. And this yoking together in marriage will determine your relationship with Christ. How so? Well, unequally yoked marriages will not fix their eyes on the same finish line. You will impede each other's progress. The believer sees, or should see, Christ, and that is my finish line. And then the world sees not just this finish line, it sees that finish line, where the things that are first to them are really last in the kingdom. And in the kingdom, the things that are first are really last to them. So you have pulling in opposite directions. You have tension in a marriage. Well, you all know that. But the point is, the choice that you make with your friends will control you. The second choice is found in Galatians chapter 6. Verse 7. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. You shortchange yourself and you fool yourself if you believe your habits of choice will not control you. You are living in denial. Particularly this time of year and maybe even this day, a lot of people have resolutions. Almost every resolution has to do with some bad habit being broken. Have you ever noticed how easy it is to start a bad habit? And how hard it is to break a bad habit. Easy to start, hard to break a bad habit. Imagine before the fall that all the habits were good. (laughs) Once Adam and Eve could subdue the earth, God's creation. Now, however, who's subduing the earth? Not us. Where do cocaine and heroin, alcohol, prescription opiates, unhealthy food and unhealthy drinks, gold, silver, Precious stones, oil, etc. Where did all this come from? It comes from the earth that we were once met to subdue. 
Those, that's a short list of things that now of the earth subdue us. Someone once asked uh, D.L. Moody which people gave him the most trouble. Immediately, he replied, I've had more trouble with D.L. Moody than anyone alive. So true for all of us, isn't it? Not D.L. Moody, for us. If you do not discipline yourself, the world will do it for you. So a good place to start if you want to start employing good habits, godly habits, is Galatians chapter 5 on to the end of the chapter. So you might make note of that. Now the third choice. But before I, I say or tell you what it is, I want you to pause, and if you have a pen and pencil, I want you to write down something. If not, fix it in your mind. I'm going to ask you two questions. Okay? What's the name of a friend whom you greatly admire? What's the name of a friend whom you greatly admire? Fix that in your mind or write it down. Next, what one thing that you admire most about that friend? What's one thing? Write it down. Or put, fix it in your mind that you admire most about that friend. Okay? Got it? I would suggest there are maybe three categories, again, that we can put this into. If there's more, tell me afterwards, too, but it's all I can think of at the time. First category could be you admire a friend for their looks. You like them because they have a beautiful head of hair that's nice and thick. Or maybe, perhaps, you are more advanced in your thinking. You realize that bald is beautiful. You like the shine that bounces off and likes the chairs and everything else. Anyway, that, that could be something. Chances are, chances are you did not put something physical down as that which you admire, the looks. Next, maybe it's somebody that you admire because they're a good accountant or a good plumber, a good mechanic, maybe a good teacher. Well, this would be a skill that they're really good with numbers or they're really good with fixing things. You might put that down. Although I think the third choice is really behind even the second choice. And the third choice would be an attitude. The attitude is what's so important. Somebody who is loving and, and kind and maybe they're industrious or maybe they're a hard worker or maybe they have perseverance and they always stick to it and overcome the problems of life and yet there's a sweetness and a joy about them. You know, we're, we're talking about the fruit of the Spirit, the, the love, the joy, the peace, the self-control. That's what we're talking about there. It's an attitude. Over 90% of people will, will likely pick the attitude is what they admire the most in their best friend. Philippians chapter 4 talks about this third crucial choice. Philippians 4, verses 11 through 13. Paul writes, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Frequently, you know, verse 13 is this quote, I can do all things through Christ. I think there's, and it's quoted out of context, and I certainly think there's merit to that. However, please notice the, con the context here of this verse. It is used to strengthen the believer to be content no matter the circumstance. It is the attitude that no matter my circumstance, it is well with my soul. 
Now, if you don't find this secret, let me tell you, if you don't find the secret of attitude, of it being well with my soul, the secret of contentment in yourself, if you don't find it there now, where God has placed you in the marriage you're in, in the family you're in, in the age you're in, in the color of your skin that you're in, in the financial status you're in, if you're not there now where God has placed you, it's useless to seek it elsewhere. Your attitude is a choice. Circumstances may not be of your choosing, but your attitude is all yours. And it's easier to maintain the right attitude than it is to regain the right attitude. I once read this prayer. Dear Lord, so far today I'm doing all right. I have not gossiped, lost my temper. I have not been greedy, grumpy, nasty, selfish, or even self-indulgent. I have not whined, cursed, or eaten any chocolate. However, I'm going to get out of bed in a few minutes. And I will need a lot more help after that. Amen? Yeah, we've all been there, I'm sure. Every day is a daily attitude adjustment. Every day is a daily attitude adjustment. As Zig Ziglar used to say, we all need a checkup from the neck up every day. Sometimes you hear parents say, I just want my kids to be happy. Sometimes friends say to a couple contemplating marriage, if he or she will make you happy, then go ahead and get married. Others advise loved ones to pursue this or that career if it makes you happy. Some people think if we move into that new house, we'll be happy. Or once we have this much money, then we'll be happy. Rather, it is being where God wants you to be. Happiness is not getting a new toy, a relationship, a job, or a new house, or a lot of money. Again, it's being where God wants you to be. That is an attitude that the world knows not. You may protest, and that's not certainly an American dream. No, it's not the American dream. You may protest, that that's not how I feel. I don't feel that way. Well, you can control your feelings by changing one thing, your thoughts. Thoughts aligned to Scripture. Think of Philippians chapter 4, I think it's verses 8 and 9. You know, whatever is truthful, whatever is virtuous, think on these things. Emerson said, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters to what lies within us. Compared to that, it's tiny. There was a Holocaust survivor, Jewish Holocaust survivor named Victor Frankl. He said this, Every time, or excuse me, everything can be taken from a man but one thing. Everything can be taken from a man but one thing. The last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances. To choose one's own way. His guards were amazed that here they were persecuting and torturing this guy and yet he still had a good attitude. Now, I've saved what I think is the most important choice for last. Matthew chapter 6. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. It's the choice of treasure. Where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. 
For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. There is nothing, nothing so meaningless, so empty, so sad as spending your entire life pursuing a treasure that was no more than an eternal illusion. One minute after you die, you will have discovered if the treasure you spent your whole lifetime pursuing was indeed worthless or not. Your choice of treasure will become your master. It will consume you. It will control you. It will be your focus. It will be your hope. Further down in verse 24 there in Matthew, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I might even cross out money, you know, if God would let me, and I put in the word creation in there. Because your treasure may not necessarily per se be money, but it will be invariably another part of the creation. God's creation. Everyone, everyone in this room will pursue one of two masters, God or his creation. You must choose either the eternal treasure or the fleeting treasure. There are no exceptions to this. And when you place fleeting treasure between you and God, you live in idolatry. You don't see God, you see the idol. The idol becomes then your master and your ruler. Again, we are free up to the point of choice, but after that, the choice controls the chooser. Now, no doubt, all of us have made sinful choices. We have intentionally chosen to live in disobedience, disobedience to our Creator, to God. And the bad news is this, then. There is a twofold penalty, twofold penalty for bad choices. One, slavery to our choices. Slavery to our choices. And the second one, eternal death, damnation, separation from God, which is hell. But praise God. Praise God. There is grace, unmerited favor. He loved us so much that God sent his son to pay the twofold penalty of our bad choices, dying in our stead, freeing us from our slavery and gifting us life through his sinless life. His sinless life choices of total obedience to and ruling with the Father. God invites us to come into this, his eternal family, to join the resurrected Christ, where once again we can rule and subdue God's creation through obedience to him, making right choices by faith in his word. Read Revelation chapter 21, 22, verse 5. talks about ruling with God. That will be eternity for us. What joy. Now, finally, if you have parents in this room, you need to maybe, out of the corner of your eye anyway, look at them. Look at your parents. Your parents have made these four choices, these four critical choices. And their choices have controlled them. The people they hang with, their habits, their attitude, their treasure. Now, if you have sons and daughters, parents, if they're in this room, what you need to do is look into the mirror of God's word. Pray for grace to role model the best and obedient choices. Because your children will learn that if my mom and my dad 
can do it. By God's grace, then, so can I. May our choices glorify God in 2017.